You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 106. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week, we'll start by discussing the idea that the market may be headed for a lost decade. The idea, while not new, was brought front of mind this past week in a note from Bridgewater, the largest hedge fund manager in the world. We will also circle back on last week's thoughts about the surge in day trading activity as the author of the now famous book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, cited the exact same study we did and we noted in our last episode last week, as evidence, day trading is not a smart idea for the average investor. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we take a look at a couple of highly publicized names from the past several weeks. The first company we look at is the embattled and debt-heavy Hertz Global Holding Inc., symbol HTZ, on the New York Stock Exchange, which saw its stock crater this year but somehow bounced back when it filed for bankruptcy. It appears the route in the stock is back on. We let you know if there is any hope. The second company we'll look at today is Nikola Corp, symbol NKLA. On the NASDAQ, the the would-be designer and manufacturer of electric and, and fuel cell vehicles, including semis and trucks with no sales, that recently IPO'd on the market and holds an astonishing $24 billion current market cap. We'll let you know if we think that's good value right now. Well, guys, I'd like to welcome my two co-hosts again, uh, Brennan and Aaron. How are you two doing? How was your Father's Day, Aaron? Always, always happy to be here. Um, Father's Day was good. Had family over, uh, a little bit busy, but uh, just my brother and his, uh, his his daughter, who's the same age as mine, my daughter, and it was awesome. Good. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It's good to good to see family once again, definitely. And I'd like to say just a belated Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. And uh, Brennan, was yours good? Did you see did you see your old? Pop yeah, mine there? was good. Yeah, yeah. Went and saw the old man, and uh, he beat me in some some outdoor games. Some outdoor you let activities. him win though, right? Because so it's got Father's it. Day, Brennan. You know, I was telling him I was sandbagging. You know, he's but, listening, uh, no. right? You can't, you can't. Oh, he'll yeah, he'll be listening. Yeah, yeah. He'll be listening. So yeah, he'll know if you say. But uh, he he but kicked no, your he butt. Let's be honest. He kicked my butt, and uh, and yeah, he still got it. He is still he still got a hop in his step. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, on other news, I also got burnt. So uh, so yeah, I, I know it out there. Wear sunscreen, everybody. As long as you don't um, get burnt in the market, the sun is fine, right? It's all good. <laughs> Fair enough. So, or burnt by somebody disparaging you with a zippy one-liner. No, well, that happens every yeah. week on the show. So he's just he's fodder <laughs> for that, right? So. 
All right, let's get to let's get to our uh, intro here. We're going to talk about uh, there's a headline out there: the stock market could be on the verge of a lost decade. That came from Ray Dalio. He's from Bridgewater. Again, we said Bridgewater is the largest hedge fund manager in the world. About 160 billion assets under administration. Uh, now, first off, with a headline like this. Uh, <laughs> Ray has a vested interest in stating the broader stock market may have poor returns as his hedge fund is considered a quote unquote alternative investment to the general stock market. If the general stock market is set to do poorly in terms of total return for say the next decade, which is what he's talking about, then investors can seek alternatives. An alternative to the general stock market would be a hedge fund potentially. So vested interest right there. Um, Secondly, the statement, it makes for great headlines. And uh, Ray likes to get press for his firm. So you put out you know, a statement like that, you know you're going to get great headlines. What we'd like to look at is, is the statement valid? Well, let's look into why Dalio said this himself, why he believed that we're in for a lost decade. I will quote from his note. He said that globalization, perhaps the largest driver of the, the developed world profitability over the past few decades has already peaked. They went on to say now the U.S.-China conflict and the global pandemic are further accelerating moves by multinationals to reshore and duplicate supply chains with a focus on reliability as opposed to just cost optimization. And this cost optimization, he would say, has led to higher profitability over the last several decades. Now, anecdotally, Bridgewater pointed out to developments from two companies as evidence from this, that would be Intel and Taiwan Semiconductor, to back up their theme on globalization. Both firms have recently said they intend to build their next production facilities in the U.S. despite the higher costs. So in theory, like we said, this would lead to lower margins. So what he's saying in that respect, in theory, makes some degree of sense. Bridgewater also went on to say that even if overall profits do recover, some companies will die or their shares will devalue along the way. Uh, they are left with lower profit levels and cash shortfalls. Companies are likely to come out on the other side of the coronavirus more in debt. I would agree with that. Some companies will definitely die. We will touch on one of those today. Uh, on the flip side, in a changing environment, other companies will prosper. If supply chains, for example, like the article notes, the note notes are brought closer to home, uh, there will be businesses that gain from supporting this shift. Uh, it is a market of stocks, not a stock market. In boom and bust times, there are always companies that outperform. To suggest investing in stocks will be completely fruitless for a decade is silly. Uh, we we always have a choice. You always have a choice where to allocate your capital. There's absolutely no reason to do exactly what you know, big bank advisors and big financial advisors have been telling Canadians and U.S. investors for that ma matter for decades. That's essentially buying the market. There's no reason to just do that. We just gave six seminars on this topic. We want you to create your own 15 to 25 stock portfolio consisting of very strong businesses. So stop buying the market. Lost decade or not, you can still outperform by owning the right businesses. We firmly believe that. And I think that's the message that I'd like to get across. 
there is good and we could we'll probably talk about this next week i have a topic i want to talk about the the shiller pe and whether or not the markets are expensive or cheap broadly speaking many would argue the markets are expensive this doesn't mean there's not going to be stocks over the next decade that's 10 years obviously that will do very well and and you want to be positioned in those companies rather than just the broader market and we would say that at any time but if you're looking at a lost decade that would be a great time to do that certainly and and what i want to highlight from what you said ryan is is also something that we talk about we've been talking about for years really since the beginning of keystone and that's pockets of strength yeah so there have been there have been many periods of the market where we've been uh, you know, completely unimpressed with the outlook or what we consider the outlook is for the overall market or overall economy, where we've seen, you know, across the market and across the economy uncertainty, enough so that if I were going to invest just in the market, I would, uh, I, I, I could think of a lot of reasons not to if I was just going to invest in the overall market in an ETF, or invest in something that benefits only from growth in the overall economy. But what a pocket of strength is, is this is a certain segment of the economy or a certain segment of the the stock market where uh, companies are providing essential products or services or products or services that are going to continue to be in high demand. And I, I, I mean, I like Ray Dalio. I've, I've read some of his books in the past um, that, you know, there's other arguments I could make that would support his, his thesis that over the next 10 years, uh, we're not going to have the level of economic growth or the level of overall stock market growth that we've seen over the past 10 years. Um, but within the market, within the economy, there are always going to be certain areas uh, that, that offer attractive investment propositions. And one area that we've invested in is, is cloud computing. And we, we invested in, in cloud computing through um, one of our U.S. growth stocks um, a couple of years ago. And... The cloud computing was already on a strong trend um, when the pandemic hit, the global shutdown hit. You know, a lot of companies, a lot of industries were severely impacted by that. But cloud is actually an area that benefited. And uh, the the CEO of Microsoft, for example, said that he saw in, in the last quarter that they saw five years of digitalization in only a couple of months because all of these workflows, all of these communications needed to go online. And if we're in a situation, just as an example, to, to use another potential pocket of strength, where companies have to start manufacturing more products domestically, um, even just for security reasons or because of trade war reasons or uncertainty, then they're always going to be looking for ways to do that more efficiently. And there's there's companies that operate in the areas of automation, AI, machine learning, robotics that that can that can provide uh, benefit to that. And then of course there's just staple essential businesses like power producers. We have a renewable power producer under recommendation in our income stock research uh, that operates in Latin America that is generating consistent cash flow from the current operations and is using that to expand into other regions and other projects and diversify itself. So whether or not globalization um, continues to trend upwards or not, people are still going to need electricity. Uh, people are still going to need power. So that that's an essential business. So really, even no matter what happens, no matter what happens with globalization, any type of a change really creates an opportunity because you're going to need businesses, technology, services, products to essentially support that change. And that's always what we're looking for, those those pockets of strength. I, I, I can never say that I've been that enamored with the market overall from a from a 
uh, investing perspective. I mean, at, at, in, at almost any time in my investing career, I could always think of a lot of reasons not to invest in the overall market. Um, but there are always interesting individual opportunities to identify and invest in. And that's that's what makes our job exciting is finding those. No, without a doubt. And we in the cloud, we uh, recently recommended another company that has exposure to that area. There's other pockets of, pockets of strength, healthcare. And we, you know, there's a company we'll likely talk about next week that's been a tremendous winner for us over the past two years and since COVID that, you know, during a pandemic, during a time where you're moving more people, and I, we believe over time, home healthcare is a segment of the market w- that continues to be a growth area. Um, there's telemedicine. Another company that we recommended at the start of the year plays into telemedicine. Um, all of these themes, uh, lost decade coming up, there may be lower returns for the broader market. You still want to be an owner of those businesses that are good value that have exposure to those areas. So, uh, yeah, just saying, you know, it makes for a great headline that the next decade will be completely lost, but there's still, we will be great businesses that can be found and can be invested in right now that will profit over the next decade, even if broader returns are lower. And I think that's something that Ray Dalio would agree with wholeheartedly. I think so, but it makes a great I've, headline and it drives absolutely. business for his business. And that's what you see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of headlines and why you see them because it drives some eyeballs to an article. So big, bold statements like that tend to do that. Uh, finally, we're just going to really quickly touch on, uh, now another book, an author that I've read, I think Aaron's read the book too, the random walk down wall street by Burton Melkiel. Uh, he's an Princeton economist. He also is the chief investment officer, I believe, of a, a robo-advisor company now, which fits with the theme of a random walk down Wall Street, really, that you, the notion that it's kind of pointless to pick individual stocks. I would have a bone to pick with that. Uh, we just went over that. But, um, but he, he talked about, the, he pointing out the frenzy of buying right now, the day traders on Robinhood. Uh, he gave two quick examples of how crazy it's been in the market uh there was a a chinese online real estate group stock with a symbol fang dd so it likely because it has the same similar name as the fang group of companies um its stock uh recently went up two thousand percent it's a chinese real estate company it has absolutely nothing to do with that and those are day traders in all likelihood just seeing a symbol thinking that had to do with the famed fang stocks and driving it up the other example would be and we're aaron's going to touch on this would be hertz the company filed for bankruptcy and the stock more than doubled following that um that is not a playbook that you see almost ever in the equity market so and Burton, he came out and cited, in terms of day trading, what he was warning is, over time, the average investor loses a ton of money trying to day trade. He came up with three studies. There was one study, uh, the exact study we uh, referenced last week, 97% of day traders in Brazil lost money, and just one percent earn more than the national minimum wage. We talked about that study last week. Listen back if you want to hear about that. But there was another study, active traders on Charles Schwab significantly underperformed a low-cost index mutual fund over a six-year period. 
And at the final study that he cited, less than 1% of Taiwanese traders consistently beat a low-cost ETF over a 15-year period, and 80% lost money. Again, those are day traders tested in studies over time, losing money. We would say that it is a definitely a bad suggestion for the average investor to become a day trader. It just we see this in kind of the you see it at peaks often in cycles where there's more and more talk of day trading. Not a great idea over the long term, even in the short term, to be honest. And it's also a lot of work as well. <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. it's if you want to be a day trader and you want to be good at it, you you really have to live and breathe the market at least for a large portion of your day. So some people see day trading as uh, like an easy, exciting way to make money. But I don't think that there's anything easy about it. Can some day traders make money? Maybe. I mean, I haven't seen any day traders on Forbes list of richest people. Uh, we have seen fundamental investors on it and, and normal business people. Uh, but day trading is, I mean, it, it almost just has to be seen as a labor of love because most people don't make money at it. Uh, they spend a lot of time doing it. And uh, the only rationale then is that they just enjoy it but you know investing that that's not investing for me that's that's just gambling and speculating and you know there are professional poker players out there that get really good at poker or or other games card games and they can make money but it's uh it's not something that the average person can do and it's certainly not a get rich quick scheme no and those studies should be a warning to anybody who's thinking about doing that and thinking about becoming a day trader over the long term. Now, let's look at our first Your Stock, Our Take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. It's on the Hertz Corporation. Aaron, you've prepared some notes on that. Yeah, certainly. So Hertz Global Holdings, Inc., the symbol is HTZ on the New York Stock Exchange. It is trading today at a price of $1.50, and the market cap is about $212 million right now. Hertz Global Holdings is an automotive vehicle rental service. It operates under the brands Hertz, Dollar, Thrifty, and Firefly. Hertz is one of the largest and most recognizable vehicle rental brands globally. Hertz has been in the media headlines recently as somewhat of a peculiarity. The company announced on May 22nd that it had filed for bankruptcy and attributed this action to the economic downturn caused by the COVID-19 crisis. Clearly, as a vehicle rent- rental company, the business is highly dependent on travel, which ground to a standstill after the global economy shut down in March. The financial pressure on a company like Hertz is not a surprise. The surprise was the unusual price movements that we saw afterwards. Immediately after the announcement, the stock dropped from almost $3 to about $0.55 per share. But in the days afterwards, the volume skyrocketed and the price increased tenfold to over $5.50 per share. Since then, it has settled back down to the $1.50 range. Looking at Hertz's financial performance and debt leverage, it isn't hard to see that the company was already on the pathway to bankruptcy well before the pressures from COVID-19 started. Hertz reported two consecutive years of net losses in 2019 and 2018, and three years out of five of net losses out of the last five years. This poor performance also has to be viewed in the context of these years being fairly robust with respect to travel and tourism. 
Uh, the economy has, the, the company has produced decent performance over this period with respect to growth and revenue and operating income. But what's been killing the profitability on the bottom line has been the high levels of debt and interest payments. For example, op the company's operating earnings, which do not include any non-operating expenses, this is before those are subtracted out, the operating earnings were $760 million in 2019, but the interest expense on debt for that year was over $800 million. Total debt as of the end of the last quarter, which is Q1 2020, was over $20 billion, compared to shareholders' equity of only $1.3 billion. That's a colossal debt-to-equity ratio of over 15 times, well, well beyond what we, would, what we would consider acceptable. Our take, Hertz is not an investable company. It's clear to us that the company was well on its way to bankruptcy before the pandemic started. Hertz wasn't able to maintain profitability even in a normalized environment and was loading itself up on debt. The company's stock price was already performing poorly in the year leading up to the pandemic, and it has pretty much been on more or less a consistent trend downwards over the past five years. So why are people still buying it? Clearly a lot of this is just trading. Traders like to see high volatility and maybe playing the stock on that basis. Uh, but trading is more akin to gambling, which is not investing. This is not an investment to us and nothing that Keystone would advise uh, a retail investor to do. Another potential reason flying around is that retail investors think that negative news means that they can somehow get a deal by buying shares of Hertz at these depressed share prices. There is a strategy that professionals and hedge funds use, they often implement, whereby they find opportunities to invest in distressed and bankrupt companies. However, this is something that requires a huge amount of specialized skill to do well, and it is not suitable for the vast, vast majority of investors. Some investors may think that because the stock is trading at a massive discount to shareholders' equity, that it makes it a value stock. But we would warn strongly against this mentality. Shareholders' equity is based on the accounting value of assets on the balance sheet, which may, which may have little to no relationship to the actual market value of those assets. So while the accounting shareholders' equity may be listed at $1.3 billion, the real shareholders' equity may be, and likely in our opinion is, well below zero. Keystone's strategy has always been to focus on quality companies that are growing, and Hertz is far from meeting that criteria. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you summarized it beautifully. I mean, it, the, the playbook is you declare bankruptcy and equity holders go to zero. Uh, Bond holders may get pennies on the dollar, essentially, may be converted into equity. Sometimes the company doesn't die. So, you know, sometimes it continues on as those uh, bondholders get converted into equity. Uh, but the point is for stock market investors, you see a company declare bankruptcy, your shares are likely going to be worth zero. That will likely happen in this case. So when you see investors buying and bidding up shares after the company declared bankruptcy, it really does suggest there is uh, some lunacy in the market, uh, to, in my opinion. It's just, it, it makes absolutely no sense um, trying to speculate on that. I understand traders are just looking at a symbol and maybe they look at the name and they recognize the name from renting a car at some point. But, um, you know, the business had far too much debt. 
it's likely going bankrupt or it is going bankrupt. It's going to zero is what I'm trying to say. And when you're trying to, you know, pass that hot potato around and trade it, and that's your investment strategy, Aaron said it, it's gambling. So don't call it investing. And, you know, there are, you could already see, you know, bid up to five or $6. I think it's, you know, a buck 50 right now. Uh, there's a lot of investors and experienced investors that probably bought at three, four, five, six bucks and now are holding it at a buck 50 and it's going to zero. So that's where trading can become extremely dangerous. Well, you really have to, I, valuation is really more of an art than a science, but of course, one yeah. of the worst ways, the worst way to try and value a company is based on book value, unless you really know what you're doing. Because oftentimes, the most of the times, the the holding values of assets on the financial statements on the balance sheet um, are not the are not are not the the values that you would get if you actually had to sell those assets in a distressed sale. And companies are supposed to have are supposed to use best efforts to report those values at lower lower than cost or market. Um, but ultimately, you don't know when you have to essentially sell those assets to a buyer, particularly in this market, you don't know the price you're going to get beforehand. So all they can do is make their best estimate. Clearly, they are incentivized to try and, and you know balance things more or less in their favor. But it would not take much of a write down on those assets to completely evaporate the shareholders' equity. So there, like I said, there are strategies, investment strategies, highly specialized that focus on buying distressed companies. But you really have to know what you're doing. You really have to know what those what those assets are worth, not just by looking at the financial statements. And it's it's also a high risk strategy as well. Yeah. Any way you cut it. And those strategies in their playbook typically don't include buying equity after a company has declared bankruptcy. So it, we would say it's just not the right way to go. So let's move on to uh, our second Your Stock Our Take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. Nicola Corp. Brennan, you got some notes on that one for us today. I do. Thank you. So Nikola Corp, ticker symbol NKLA on the NASDAQ, currently trading at a price of around $65.92 and has a market cap of just under $24 billion. Um, so Nikola Motor Company designs and manufactures electric, electric components, fuel cells, drivetrains, and vehicles. And its current products include semis, a pickup truck, and power sport vehicles. Now, looking at the company's performance recently, uh, the stock was up over 500% in the last three months after Vecto IQ Acquisition Corp, a special purpose acquisition company led by former GM executives, approved the pending acquisition of hydrogen-powered electric truck startup Nikola Corp for $3.3 billion. Uh, the company, which was previously listed under the symbol VTIQ, began trading on the NASDAQ under its new ticker uh, NKLA on June 4th. Now, looking at what's driving the stock here, uh, this is the common case of a stock getting bid up based largely on the speculation that the company will be able to take advantage of a large, relatively untapped, environmentally friendly market and will be able to execute successfully while doing so. 
Looking at the company's financial results for Q1 2020, period end March 31st of 2020, there really isn't much that we can dig into as the company doesn't generate any money from vehicle sales at the moment and Nikola only expects to generate revenue by 2021 with the rollout of its battery electric truck followed by fuel cell electric truck sales starting in 2023 and the initial build out of hydrogen fueling stations to serve Nikola's customers' fleets such as the Anheuser-Busch. Now, the company states that it has more than 14,000 pre-orders, representing more than $10 billion in potential revenue. I'll highlight potential revenue over two and a half years of production. Um, but it is important to understand that these pre-order deposits can be as low as $250. Uh, this is referring to their pickup truck, at least. Uh, and also, along with the deposit, uh, they are providing customers tickets into a raffle which will allow one lucky individual to win his or her truck. Now, I wasn't able to uh, find out if these deposits were refundable, but I would assume that they're not. Um, you know, and maybe even I'll make my own deposit for 250 bucks for the chance to get, uh, you know, to win one of these trucks. Um, it, it's definitely not a lot of money. Now, our take on Nikola. Um, you know, we would like to refer to it as a speculative company and something we would tell our clients to remain cautious on. Our first criteria for determining if a company is investment quality is whether they are profitable. And at present, there's just no way of accurately valuing the business based on fundamentals. Considering Nikola is years away from generating consistent profitability uh, or even revenue, along with the fierce competition they will face from more established firms like Tesla, Ford, and Toyota, just to name a few, we would remain on the sidelines with the business right now. Um, but there's definitely a lot of hype around the name. And uh, yeah, I would say that uh, traders are, uh, are taking advantage of it. This, is, this, this company really reminds me of the, the tech bubble. Um, of the 1990s, where you could have a, a company that has zero revenue trading app. Sorry, what was the market cap on that again? It was over 24 20 billion. billion. Yeah, yeah tw 24 billion dollars, yeah. and doesn't even have any revenue. Um, this, this to me is is looks like a pure hype play. I would not even consider going near it. Now, is it possible that things will work out for the company and that they'll end up being a a hugely successful story? To the extent that anything is possible, yes. But one point that you brought up there, Brennan, with, was these low deposits and even an incentive to put down a deposit. I mean, I don't know how much of a incentive the raffle is, but if some of these deposits are as low as $250, I mean, that's a small percentage, I would imagine, of the, the price of their truck. And, and they haven't even built it yet. So it's really easy for these people just to walk away from that. And, you know, if, if I wanted to build a business to promote and raise a bunch of money, uh, certainly I would, you know, try and try and get these purchase orders from people and just set the deposit as low as possible so that that you could you could advertise the fact that you have all of these pre-orders, even though there's really almost nothing that's holding these customers to actually buying. That's not what I would personally do, but that's what what I believe somebody would do if they really just wanted to hype a story. So yeah, it's, it's definitely the strategy. And like even even with Tesla, like you could even see them, or I'm, I'm pretty sure they did something very similar with their Cybertruck. Of you know the, the deposits were very very low, you know, just to you know pump up the possible revenue that they're going to generate in the future. Um, but yeah, sorry for just quickly cutting you off. No, that's fine. And I'm glad you brought Tesla up. 
you know, at least you could point to Tesla and say, well, this is a company that has generated revenue. This is a company that has a track record of producing, designing these vehicles, producing them and getting them out there. But if you think of all of the flack that Tesla's taken as well over the past couple of years for not being profitable, it just shows you how difficult it is to actually come out with these products competitively, these vehicles competitively, sell them to the market and make money off of it. So profitability even is still something that that Tesla hasn't achieved. I mean, they've achieved it in individual quarters, but they have not consistently achieved it over a period of years. Um, so it's, you know, for a company, a new company to come out and compete with them. Once again, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's an extremely difficult task to do that and do it profitably. Yeah. And there's, there's so much risk factor that should be factored into the investment at this stage is not even an investment the speculation uh so much execution related risk that just we believe isn't being factored in i i think you're just seeing people say look what tesla did here's another tesla or here's tesla light if they even do you know five ten times five percent of ten percent of what tesla does they'll be worth you know, far more than what they're trading at now, you know, 30% of what Tesla does, 50%. If they can do what Tesla does, I'm going to be rich. And that's, you know, that's the speculation. That's what people look at when they look at a business like this. Uh, it is a poor way to um, grow capital over time to speculate on businesses that have never, you know, never produced a widget, never produced, you know, sold something to a customer sold a service, sold whatever they are selling. And in this case, this company has done none of those things and has all the execution risk. Plus it's already trading at relative premium valuation. So there you have it. There's like Aaron said, it does remind me of putting a dot com behind your name. And this is putting an electric vehicle uh, flavor behind their name. Obviously there is some technology there, but there are many companies that have technology uh, in the area of electric vehicles, uh, fuel cells. So they have competition, they have all the execution risk, and they have premium valuations in the near term for a business that hasn't done anything. Uh, there's always possibility that they could do tremendously well, but there's also a great possibility that the business never amounts to anything. And uh, with a $24 billion, billion with a B uh, market cap, there's a lot of risk built into that name. Okay, well, that's going to finish off our show for this week. Uh, I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Aaron and Brennan, for hosting with me this week. And uh, I wish all of our investors out there, you stay safe and profitable investing. And keep those questions coming in. Profitable investing. Thanks, everyone.